bear, bear with me. Hi, I'm Conor Byrne and this is That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you'll hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique insights. Today is the second part of our slightly different show. We are recording live in Dublin uh, in HubSpot House, thanks to HubSpot for Startups, the all-in-one CRM that scales as your startup grows. Uh, This is a room filled with insight-led, customer-focused, brand-loving, pitch-perfected marketers and agencies. And thanks for joining us today. Uh, Norm, at this point, I would do a bit of a summary about what we're about to talk about. Um, And even though it is Paul Durbin, I have no idea what's coming next. So... I will just uh, start by introducing our our next guest in this live series, uh, former, officially former CMO of the National Lottery, uh, Paul Durbin. Paul, you are uh, my first return guest. So you were season one, episode two, where we got to talk about how boxer shorts got you into the world of advertising. So we won't go there because people can go and listen to that episode if you want to know more about that story. Um, But for anyone who doesn't know you, who's listened to this, maybe just a very quick, short introduction of who you are um, and your path and, and path to becoming former CMO of the National Lottery. Just for the record, Connor announced the former CMO while I was still working there. <laughs> impressive. Um, so a, sh- a short summary of of what? Of you. So you, oh, do you know, let's start with uh, you, you. There was a foray into youth work at one point, but that then you, that didn't work <laughs> out. Am I right? Well, I was there, but it, it's not that it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I was a care worker for a little bit. Yeah. And then you decided to change path and go into marketing. But you always had a love for marketing. So how did that kind of, how did that come about that you wanted to change that path and get into marketing? Well, I liked both. So I liked marketing from a long time um, since I was very young. Um, uh, like even the age of ten or eleven, I I was interested in 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 advertising, which sounds a bit odd. But yeah, <laughs> so I did detour into into kind of care work for a little bit. Um, and for those who don't know, myself and Connor worked together in Bardstown in. 300 years ago yeah. so 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 we our paths crossed there um yeah and then i i left that and went off searching for a, a job in marketing in the in the late 90s yeah <laughs> which led you to to kind of direct direct mail direct marketing which yeah direct mail direct marketing i have a love for for direct marketing and 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 actually used that to try and get my first job because I couldn't get one. So I did some risk-free offers to employers to get them to hire me. Yeah, and it worked. It, yeah. it did work. And then also in that period, you have a, a very successfully failed business along the way. <laughs> which one? The car. Driving car the driving school. Which was a you uh, know, huge direct mail element to that as well, wasn't That's it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So we launched a driving. Forgotten. We launched a driving school. Ironically, I didn't have a driver's license, which was probably the uh, uh, part. We launched a, uh, which probably was an online driving school, a little bit ahead of our time on yeah. this one. Um, where, if I remember correctly, the proposition was. Correct me if I get this wrong. I will. The, the proposition was we would, if you failed, basically we you we would we would train you until you passed. Yeah, if you failed, we would pay for your your tests. Yeah. 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 And then we offered actually free booklets of like the theory test. Yeah. Do you remember the name? 
of the of yeah, yeah Roadrunner. Roadrunner. Yeah, t-shirts. Yeah. Like Larry's t-shirts here today. Yeah. Because yeah. they didn't have barcodes on them. No. Yeah. So that was failed. It was a great it had a great proposition. Operationally it wasn't great. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure if we were gonna make the margins on it. So still it was it was fun. When was that? That was two thousand? Yeah, just before before our time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Actually no one else has done it since. We were too early. We were too early. Yeah. yeah. We were I just too that. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so right, let's get on to this, the serious business of uh you joined the National Lottery four years ago. I guess coming out of semi retirement at the time. What was it that drew you out of call it unemployment, but <laughs> semi retirement. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I had been working so so I wasn't working when I joined the lottery. Um I I was doing a little bit of consulting, but I was mostly just playing with Lego, I think if I'm honest. Uh with kids. With ki- I was, yeah, and yeah, your, kids, your kids. With kids, kids. Yeah. yeah. So I had been working uh, with you, Connor, and some others here and indeed um till 2018 and then i stopped it was it was very it was a very busy job and there was a lot of traveling and my kids were i have twin boys at the time they were two so i stopped working and actually did aspire to not work again for a while yeah (laughs) true it's true um i used to take photographs of cans of beer from the park and just send them to people who i knew were working Um, (laughs) because if anyone remembers 2019 was a really good summer in our so so i i did my best to take full advantage of that um but then i was lured back into 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 full-time employment um uh, about four years ago yeah it's a lot of, yeah. when you got into that lottery i mean look it's a it's a huge brand institution almost in the country what were the things you discovered when you got there hmm. the first thing I discovered is how big it really was in the sense that <clears throat> You know, it had over 70% penetration. So, you know, seven out of 10 adults in any given year played a lottery in some format. It was so high, I wasn't sure if that even could be true, but it was, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then even the the levels of frequency of play were just incredibly high. So I knew it was a big brand. I just didn't realize how, uh, how large it was in terms of customer numbers. Yeah. So that's all great, like big customer numbers, well-known brands. You didn't obviously just go in and say, well, just keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> what were the, the discoveries that mattered then when you when you Yeah, went to... so uh, we made some changes um, a little while after I got there. The um, There were a few things I thought that we could try and do better. Um, the brand wasn't visually as cohesive as, as it is now um, in the sense that there was actually we treated it as having four brands. So we had Euro Millions, which is 130 million, by the way, this week. If anyone's oh, I know. Playing. Yeah. Um, so um, there was Euro Millions, which was considered a brand, and then there was Lotto brand, it was scratch cards and other stuff like that, and there was then there was a national lottery brand. So it was, in some way, it was being managed as as a portfolio of separate brands or separate identities, and. I wasn't entirely sure if that was the best way to get the most out of it um, because of a lot of similarities between them. They're yeah. both in the same place. The motivations are similar. Uh, and and one of the the challenges with that is you're then supporting four brands with four separate pieces of work and things like that as well. So so that's something we changed. So we, we, we went to a unified single master brand. To- but, you know, it wasn't a gut feeling, right? You see, no, what did you do to figure that I out? Just my gut feeling and everything these days. <laughs> uh, no, so 
so we were doing an awful lot of research and we'd have hypotheses. So we like, so my view had been, I wonder, is this the best way to do this? And actually it was kind of tricky because lots of other lotteries do it the same way too. The portfolio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was looking around trying to find out, are there good examples of other brands that are in the lotteries that do that? Um, but if you looked at the evidence, there wasn't really strong reasons. Like there was some potential hypothesis that they had different brand personalities um, and that that was a reason for them to be treated separately. I didn't really find enough evidence to support that. Um, so, and there was some really good reasons to move to a unified brand. Like? Well, you're putting all your budget into one brand. The other thing is this, the the you know the lottery the lottery is is a huge um it's it's it, it, it does a huge amount for society in terms of like about over four million every week goes to to good causes and that hadn't been communicated for about seven years and if you don't communicate these things people just start to forget um but if you want to build that into the brand and you've got four different brands how do you do that you know, so how, so by having a unified brand, then you could start to, you could start to talk about parts of the brand, um, and just just focus in general. You know, like I don't know if you, I haven't looked at your questions because you probably haven't written any, but the <laughs> but the um, it's a shopping list the <laughs> so there's the you know most you will probably know that the tagline for the national lottery is it could be you, um, but I don't know if anyone can remember what the tagline was back in 2013. Do you know? No. You're a big lot of I'm player. You still should, am. You should I know should know. Stuff, yeah. Right. So, so, <clears throat> so it used to be, it could be you. And then it was dropped in 2013. Not, I don't think it was actually dropped. It was just probably as they went into different products, uh, it was dropped. Um, and, but we had, we'd done some research with Red Sea and we found that, if you say the words, it could be you, I think at the time, 60% of people were able to say who that brand was. And this uh, this is in 2020, it having not been around since 2013. Right. So we brought that back. Um, and it used to be, by the way, it used to be time to play. Wow. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Well, so anyway, so so like the proper taglines is if you don't use them, all the time they they just get forgotten and a lot of them are generic and worthless anyway but but if they are good you should probably hang on to them so so there was some advantages to doing those kind of things and and, and actually the, the the challenge with that is there was different brand identities with different colors and different taglines pre that and it just it was just a lot of it was a lot of stuff you know and so the unification was around kind of the same tagline the same colors across one brand so one yeah. brand one brand personality one brand identity um one tagline one tone of voice um and within that then you start to pull up pull apart the products yeah so like the best example i can think of is every christmas we have this millionaire raffle campaign which has been running for three years now Not only core people left in the room but but core made it it's really good and um that's there's, it's basically it's a it's a girl giving this guy yeah. a, like a million raft ticket and they kind of fight for a while um and 
that is clearly from the National Lottery, but it's clearly about Milner Apple. So the way we talk about communications in the National Lottery now, or at least it was up to a week ago, um, <laughs> is that... Come back to the 2012 book. <laughs> no, we'll come back to that question. But the, 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 the communications to the National Lottery are from, they're always from the National Lottery, like the small things like the end frame is always the same. It's always the same voice. It's the same tagline, all that stuff. But uh, but we're able to talk about particular products in, in a way that feels like we're talking about Minerap or we're talking about um, your minutes from the National Lottery. So it's a bit of discipline, but but it seems to work. And so touching in, in, in that space is kind of, you, you looked at the distinctive brand assets that you had. So obviously, you know, can you talk to me a bit about that, that process and, and what you did? Yeah. And, and so... It's one of our big, big things, but I, I, I guess the reason why it's important is to take a step back, which is um, attention is fleeting. So we did a lot of work and there's a lot of work out there and a lot of people in the room probably know it, but attention is fleeting. So you, you don't have an awful lot of time in advertising or any communications before attention starts to, to drop off. Uh, and, and at its most extreme level, if you like, you take a typical Facebook ad. So if you buy an ad on Facebook, active attention is probably no more than two or three seconds. So after that, you can safely assume that most people will not have seen that ad. Yeah. Um, now that's a tough brief because you, when you're, when you're making, when you're making ads, you want to maybe sell something. You, you want them to know who it is. You want them to, you, you know, you want, you want the, the, the messaging and the branding all to be correct. Um, and if you only have two or three seconds, that doesn't give you an awful lot of space. So, and really you need, unless you have a distinctive asset, you've only got your, your, your brand name. Yeah. That's the only thing that will signal who you are. But if you, so brand assets are non-name elements of your brand. And if you have a, a distinctive brand asset and if it's well known and well linked to you, then you can use that in your communications um, so that you don't get misattribution up front. You you hope that people at the very, very least know who, who this brand is advertising. It sounds like a very low bar, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we aim for. And and so we, what we did is we looked, again, with Red Sea, we looked to see, well, what distinctive assets does a lottery already have? And we looked at, like, we looked at a load of things. We looked at how many colors. So we asked, we, we have, we had, a, we had a bunch of colors and we got people to see if they could identify who we were from those colors. Uh, and the only color that we any way of kind of, um, of association with was the color green. When it comes to distinctive assets, you, you're not, you're not trying to find out what they think of your brand. What you're trying to do is you show them or listen, listen to something and you want to see what, whether your brand gets evoked. So that's yeah. that's the difference, um, and and so we what we did is we cut out we cut out a lot of the colors um, because they had no association, regardless of how attached we might have been internally. They Just like gone. red didn't have any association, yeah. even though red a lot of used to be red. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and even on the app, you can see we still use the colors a little bit because you got you have to do some sort of signposting. Um, so we did that. We we found that our tagline could be you was both correct for the brand strategy and also liked and known. So that was helpful and short. So yeah. good. Um, and we, we actually, at the time, we actually also found there was some resonance with them. Um, we used an Elvis track in our music. But that was one you brought in. 
the Elvis track. No, the Elvis track was there. So no, we didn't. So the Elvis track had been used in in a Euro Millions ad for about four years. Oh, okay. You know the one with the island. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 That that had been played probably more than than the lottery hoped, but it had been. It was a very successful ad that had probably it probably been outstayed its its welcome. Um, But the music in that. It was just for Euromillions, so we we transferred right. that across to all of that a lot. Okay, yeah, and and that 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 worked quite well. Um, and then we started to create new assets as yeah. well. Um, so what were the ones that you? Well, the the ones that people remember is we created initially was the water slides. Yeah. So so we what well, what we did is we we used that in a launch campaign, and we said if it works well. If we think it's beginning to pick up, we will we will use it as a distinctive ass. And what we generally do is we put some benchmarking in place early. And if you think it's going to grow, then we'll double down on that. Um, and that we did that. Um, and actually, about a year ago, or maybe a little longer, we 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 started to evolve from the water slides for a couple of reasons. But but um, but we wanted to contain and maintain the consistency so we actually there's a yellow you know those little yellow rings yeah, that yeah. people kind of go down slides and we started measuring that and using that so even as we did ads that didn't have water slides we still managed to keep that yellow floaty thing in um, and then later and then we well then we brought in new music which was Mr. Blue Sky by Yellow um, I don't have any numbers for you but they're all very high but the the uh, and that works really well, except that a lot of people then give me abuse because I've ruined the song. The song yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but and then the last one is a character. So, so we didn't have a character. And there's a lot of good research to suggest that a character can work really well. Mm. It's more flexibility, all that kind of stuff. I was going to bring one early in the early days, but that came to that came to a, a close earlier than I'd hoped. Um, is that because you can't use a monkey in advertising? Yeah, it, no, it was actually a guy in a rabbit suit, but it's okay. a, it's, it's a story that's. <laughs> It requires more time, and and so we we then introduced this character called the Dream Inspector for just for Euro Millions, um, um, within uh, within the realm of that. When stuff like that starts to work, well, first of all, actually the music. So the Elvis track was working incredibly well. You continue yeah, to use yeah. it. That was a there was a bit of a risk there. Well, it wasn't really a risk. no. I mean, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, first you could go back to it if you wanted to. You'd be able to go back, and you'd still you'd see the scores pop again if you needed to. Um, we 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 thought about bringing in a new music track. Um, we didn't want to have multiple music tracks; because yeah. it's expensive. But but we brought in a new music track, and partly is we wanted to see if we could just bring a little level of excitement into it. Um, the this kind of trade off between novelty and then consistency. You know, you mentioned fresh consistency, which is nice to think about it. The and so we did decide that we'd bring in the ELO track. And actually, we were. I probably asked you to look at it at the time. Like Connor, I get Connor to have a sneaky preview of all our work because <laughs> he's he's pretty honest. Um, and and so we actually, I, I'm probably sent to you. Yeah, I did because because I think I went with your recommendation in the end. Maybe I didn't. Let's go. No, I chose against yeah. what you said. Yeah. So the we 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 made a new campaign called The Village it's about this woman who walks down a field and opens kind of what looks like it's a it looks like it's a skyline, but it's actually a it's like the old Bosco door. door. Yeah, yeah, into into a water park. And that was when we introduced the Mr. Blue Sky. Um but we also at the same time were considering um the Hall and Oats track uh, Make My Dream Come yeah. True, which also scored really high when we tested the boat with system one. So then I I called a bunch of experts and you. 
sorry, I sorry, I, I I shouldn't say that. Connor, Connor is, is particularly astute when it comes to advertising. But I, I called a bunch of of people whose opinions I I I rated, including Connor's and other people like Paul Fell, the computer field, and said, "Would you look at these? What's your view?" And really, my question was, because I already had the scores. Yeah. My question was, would we be able, because the Mister Blue Sky was such a famous track, would we be able to to be associated with it? Because it's no good if it's already got so it's so well known and understood that it doesn't work to you. Yeah. And we reckoned with our with the level of our media spend and the 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 rigor that we we place on these things that we would be able to, and we did, we did. So, uh, you know, Amer still doesn't forgive me for not going. <laughs> with it. And it turns out Boots then used that a year later. So, so it's theirs now. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. The, the, you mentioned the <clears throat> sorry the Dream Inspector and was successful uh, as a character. Yeah. Was there then any kind of conversation or appeal of saying, I want to use him across yeah, other parts yeah, of our yeah, advertising? Yeah, happened recently again. Yeah, so, um, yeah, is the answer. So, <laughs> so, so the, uh, the Dream Spectre is his character um, and the guy who, who plays him is a guy called Brian Quinn. He's a really talented actor and, um, and we were making a new campaign just before it finished up. And we had a bit of debate because we even got a casting tape from yeah. him, which I asked not for, but <laughs> Damien director said anyways a sneaky. And and he was brilliant in this casting tape for a new campaign, which wasn't for Euromillions. Um but we just be honest with you, we decided that we would just we would stay on the plan that we said, which was be disciplined about this. Otherwise it could cause confusion later on. So, so yeah. So, but actually, he's doing something today for the team. He's doing some sort of activation on a bus okay. somewhere. So yeah, yeah. So um, in preparing for the 130 million this Friday. Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I mention that? Yeah. yeah. So um, so yeah. So so we're pretty disciplined on that, and we're really disciplined on all those things in the sense that we 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 know why we want to use them, and we and you know this is a struggle you see a lot where people yeah. want people involved get bored with stuff that they've been working on themselves, and people. We are like our our colleagues and stuff, and they all get bored because they they're see, seeing it all they the time. See so much of it, um, but then we just go back to the research. Like even the yellow track, as much as I get abuse from people, like if you look at the research, people really like the track and like it being associated with the brand, and it does a really good job being evoking the brand. So they just don't hear it like a thousand times, like I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're in the yeah. in the bubble, and yeah. uh, I spoke with Rachel fairly. Uh, um, it's kind of a brand transformation strategy. It's amazing. Uh, works in B two B. But uh, she pointed out nobody cares about your brand. Yeah, yeah. We forget that, don't yeah, we? Like, yeah, yeah. And like you even take the lottery. It's a very small part of a lot of people's lives. Huge it's part tiny. of mine. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But is it? It's a tiny. It's like the biggest barrier for playing the lottery is they just forget to play. It's just not on their mind. So. Category entry points. You looked at that. You've got a complex set of products that you need. It's not that complex. It's it's it's. <laughs> you should tell me you're going to ask that question. It's not that complex. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, we have a number of them, and and like scratch cards compete with bars of chocolate as an entry point. Yes, but sorry, my point being that they're they're different occasions. They are like, different yeah. occasions. Yeah. So how do you go about? We do the category entry points. So, so we category entry points then is a measure of mental availability, um, which is kind of the big thing. That's one of the big kind of things that Ehrenberg Bass are are, are um, promote, promote, and and the thinking of that is there. 
they're just their ways into the category. So if I have a need or if I'm in a certain place or whatever, what brands might come to mind to solve that that need or desire? Um, some of them are really well known already in the business. So it was really a question of doing the research to find out what are the most frequent ones, what are the ones that we think you could do well in, um, and and then start to use them. Like, well, I give you a couple of examples. Yes. Yeah. So people dream of changing their lives a lot. So um, they like the research shows that like twice a week people have a thought about changing their lives, you know, as in like, wouldn't it be great if it's not always money related. It could be like get healthier, get a new job, you know, things like that. Um, so that's an entry point in. So what happens in real world is someone goes, God, wouldn't it be amazing? And then they're like, Oh, there's 130 million this Friday. Yeah. Um, and they buy a ticket. And, and so we were able to track the, we knew how often people think about this, we knew how how likely our brand is to be associated with that thought. And we also had uh, some decent proxy work on how many people then went ahead and did purchase. Uh, and so that was a really big um, entry point. So this idea of dreaming of winning is, is, is a, an entry point that's probably the same for every lottery in the world. But it's a real one and yeah. a, an important one and a high frequency one. Um, and 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 later on, so um, so you take scratch cards. Most people who the main driver of buying scratch cards is just a little treat for yourself. So you know birthday cards, right? Well, so that's it. So so a treat for yourself is the main driver and motivation for it. So you're having a busy day. You're in the shops. You go, oh, do you know, I'll get a coffee and a scratchy, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, and that's the main driver, but we also knew that that for fifty one so half the population they they would consider um buying a scratch card if they're looking for something to put with a card in an envelope, so it was very specific if you ask people in 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 the kind of in the research what brands would you consider when you're thinking of a gift we're you're like we're not we're not in 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 the park at all for that. Because it's so broad, yeah. You know, like it could be Smiths if it's for toys, it could be vouchers. But if you're actually, if you're, if you're, if you're, if if you've got a card in hand and an envelope, and you're getting someone a card, and you're thinking, what'd be nice to put in with this? Fifty percent of the population think of a uh, national lotteries, and uh, so that's one that we we started in the last year and a half to to promote and communicate. Another entry point is is petrol stations. So petrol stations kept turning up in our research as a really big area for for when people think of buying a lottery ticket. Because they want to be the one on the news that's, you know, well, random petrol station in Offaly. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. but like there's probably other, like we don't know whether it's just because it's easy to pull up and get one or whether you're there. And But either way, that doesn't matter. What matters is that the association yeah. is strong. And, and so we started doing, you know, advertising on petrol pumps and, using our music in the stores and yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah yeah so so we did some deals with the again with with, with stark mccord to 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 promote and so we we were trying to get it into the court the what do you call the the four courts, four courts yeah, yeah yeah um but also in the shops and and then the, actually the branding in petrol stores is really good for us as well because you often have this place down outside um and then we'd measure so as well as just measuring sales we'd measure are we improving our association, our, our mental availability 
with petrol stations. And, right. and that's so and if we are then we're we're building the long and the short because we're getting the sale but we're also building it in people's minds which means that the, the theory goes the stronger that link is among more people the all else being equal the more likely that will lead to a sale was that the first time the media agency bought music in petrol stations as a as For a us? channel, yeah, no, no, you, do get, you do get a bit of that. I've never you, heard of no, you, 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 you do deals. You can do deals with this with the stores mm. where they'll they'll do your ads. You know, not... but you were just buying the track. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, but yes, yeah, so they can do. Different. I don't know if they've done it for other people like that. Um, yeah, you, t- you talked about dream and dreaming as being one of the, yeah. the category entry points, and I guess people look at the the job of CMO of a national lottery, and it's seems like a dream job you get to write a brief that says we open on the beach it's, it's um, managerial. It's, it's built into the page <laughs> yeah. you can't take it out yeah but, but there are complexities to it and one of those is probably around things you you can and can't say see so, i mean you, you probably can't just show an ad of someone dreaming about a new life because there yeah be so so the it's funny <laughs> um when i started i was like this is amazing we've no competitors and then i figured out <laughs> that we compete with everybody um um but yeah it's it's very it's like it's it's regulated the lottery is regulated there's a, there's a there's a you know there's a group of people who get up every morning and their job is to regulate just the national lottery and they do a very good job in fairness they're a very decent group of people and they do a really good um job um reg- regulating us and all sorts of things yeah. but there's a, there's very we have our own we well when i was there that we have a we have a, a code um which is which is built on top of the advertising code and there's lots of things that you can't do um all for good reasons you know like you can't have children in your ads you can't have alcohol you you can't suggest that this is a way out of out of you know out of you know a social class yeah you, there's you know you can't suggest it's an alternative to work but yeah, you still have incredible fun with the advertising. Like it's very joyful. That's a hard balance to get to get right. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a bit like your, you know, the beautiful constraint of a tight brief. Yeah, know? and we work with some really talented creatives. And and like it's funny because the the truth of the matter is, if, if people when people do think of winning the lottery or getting any vast sums of money. They go, you know what I'll do? I'll pay off the mortgage and and I'll get a new house, things like that. Um, and we, for good reasons, are not allowed to communicate those things. But you could also argue that that might be not that interesting anyway, because yeah. like it is, it is kind of you're selling, you're selling a kind of a sense of escapism. And um, so, yeah, they're just some of the constraints. And in some ways, the advertising is almost like it's almost unreal. It is almost. Yeah, it's you know what I mean. Like it's, it's slightly a bit fan- fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. yeah, it is, and that's always like, for example, and again, you'll know this, but but the 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 our original water park campaign was this guy in an apartment, mm-hmm. and um, and he says, "Look, I haven't changed." You know, you don't just change your values, and then he gets a splash in the face, and you find out that he has built this water slide going all through the apartment blocks. Um, but originally, that was a swimming pool. And then, you know, one of the top creatives, a guy called Paddy, he's like, oh, swimming pool doesn't feel interesting enough. And so they built it into a water park. And then for those who don't know, Connor had his own input in this, which because you were like, oh, will this be shared with all their neighbors? And I was like, it will now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, sorry, there is a, a HubSpot all hands happening, I think. So that's the that's the music but uh, anyway but you had we'll that that the um, so you know reflecting on your time at the lottery do you have a favourite piece of work 
of lottery work. Mm. Yeah, um, I do. Um, I like a lot of it. Um, Favorite child? I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I actually think a lot. Like, I do think the work generally is very good, and I, and I do like it. Um, I, my favorite ad is probably that one I described a moment ago the the original kind of water park one I just really I really like that that was funny um I really like the Christmas millionaire apple one like that's that's a direct response campaign um and it was a really tough campaign to get right um but I like it I still think it's kind of funny and it, it does really well it, like it like why really, was it hard to get right that's a long story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it it's a, it it does really well, and it's a great example because um, the Millionaire Apple, like these tickets, like for previous number of years, tickets hadn't been sold out by the time it was done, and oh. then we brought in this campaign, and nothing has really changed, and we sold out like a week early. Really? Right? Yes, yeah, so we sold out for three years. Media running. didn't change. The media spend. Uh, we might have brought the media spend a little bit earlier because it's kind of to try and fight with consideration but it was roughly the same um and yeah it was a great case uh, where where this like the positioning was more about gifting as opposed to something else beforehand and just a really entertaining well-branded piece of advertising and it's sold out three three like ever since it's gone live it's we'll see how it goes this year but it's sold out yeah. every year yeah. uh, what was the hardest work to do and sorry like I'm thinking of trying to, you'd mentioned earlier on communicating the amount of money that goes back to good causes. Like that was, was that a challenge to get that across? Cause do, do people care? How do you, how do you make it feel lottery? Yeah. I think that's one of the mistakes I made earlier is I didn't know whether that was important because, right. um, because facts and figures are hard for people to take and remember and, and good causes has lots of potential for emotional stuff. Um, so for a couple of years, we did a lot of emotional led advertising, which was really good. Like it did really well, like, like really high scores on system one. People liked it. It helped build salience and, and build a general awareness. Oh yeah. These guys are like a lot. Like, so the way, the way good causes works is a knowledge of good causes does not prompt people to play the lottery, um, but what it does is if you play and you don't win, having knowledge that a lot of the money goes back into the community makes you feel open to playing right, again. Yeah. So so it has this kind of virtual loop that works quite well. Um so it did all that. But what I what I only realized later on is that actually information like the fact that four million every week, week in, week out goes to goes to good causes was an important piece of information that people should learn as part of their understanding of the proposition right and so what that means is and actually so instead of sticking that in kind of an emotional-led campaign really the kind of solution to that is to run concurrent campaigns so there's a there's a there's a really good radio ad that owen wrote with yeah. with, with marty marty uh, moment yeah 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 so you yeah, don't have a Marty meltdown, <laughs> and that that was a really good radio campaign that allowed us to, in an entertaining way, communicate. Events. How are you measuring the result of that specific? Because that was a very specific thing you were trying to do. What was your yeah, metrics? Yeah, well, different measures. So what we try and do, I'm a devil for this, but like we try and figure out what we want to do, and then when we know what it is, then I harass everybody involved to figure out good measures. So for that one, 
we would have benchmarked to find out knowledge of 4 million. So we just, we, we put the benchmark in. So once we decide what we're going to do, then we, 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 we talk with Red Sea and we, we add a question into our questionnaire, which is knowledge of 4 million yeah. going to good causes. And we get a benchmark. And then we start, we start um, when we start doing any kind of advertising promotion on that, we just track that to see whether it's growing and improving. Um, and then there's other measures. You can just measure things like recall of that particular ad execution. You know, there's a number of other ways you can do it. But just what you're trying to do is get a bunch of data points that say this is the right thing to do and it seems to be working. Because there's loads of examples where, I won't go into them all, but there's loads of examples when there was things that the data points were suggesting it wasn't working. And you... And I stopped them. Or you yeah. kept going? <laughs> no, no. So we did a load of, so we did, we did 18 months of campaigns where um, we would do these very short radio ads telling people that there was like, like two winners of a large event last month. Um, and what we wanted to do is try and help people understand that there's winners happening right, quite yeah. regularly. But uh, like the, we had a metrical win belief, which was going up, but, but what we, I couldn't find any evidence that those ads were were getting any recall and that people knew them or anything like that as yeah. well. So we stopped that. Yeah. I was going to ask you anything you'd have done differently, but I think you've kind of maybe um, touched on that. But any other things you look back and reflect and wish you'd, you'd done differently? Yeah, um, it's probably partly because of the pandemic, but I wish I'd spent more time with other lotteries. So, okay. Because the insights are the same and, you know, we could just mix stuff that's good. Um I think would have done that differently. I would have, I would have had that two kind of train going on with the good causes at an early stage. Um, I would have, we haven't tackled scratch cars properly. And I, and there's a real opportunity there because about 50% of adults buy scratch cars, which yeah. means there's a good chunk of people who either feel it's not for them or they just don't think about it. So that's an opportunity that we didn't really get to. But, uh, Good news for, you know, whoever follows you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. a... It's, well, some of these things we know about, we just don't, yeah. we just like, you got to prioritize yeah. things and just kind of tackle them. And it was an unusual year because you had the pandemic and then you had this 19 million run. Yeah. So you had all sorts of things that were not normal. Um, they weren't normal. So um, so moving on to, to what's next, what made you kind of start thinking about a different role? Yeah. Um, so... I'm, I'm moving to a new job. We've got time in a company called Miro. Um, uh, do you know what? I, I fancy learning some new stuff. Okay. So it's mostly B2B. B2B is not an area that I have spent a whole lot of time or energy on. Um, yet, probably the vast majority of marketing roles are B2B. Um, and I guess the things that I spend a lot of time on are not hugely done in b2b so so that's in brand yeah so it's like if you if you pursue a career in brand management you tend to try and get into consumer brands because you know it's kind of caroline's still here but like the you know you get to you get to compete against the best and 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 you know prove that you can and that's that's a real interesting challenge and that's and it's consumer, so it's kind of you got the mass audiences and things like that. So I think partly because of that, that there it, historically there hasn't been a huge influx of people with strong desires to brand manage and with experience in it to go B two B. So 
So that's interesting. And there's a bunch of things that I know nothing about in in kind of the SaaS kind of world and product led growth. That all seems really interesting. Okay. So, what are you what are you expecting, or have you any expectations of, of when you expect it's going to be hard? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to put up any of my jazz hands talk. Yeah. Um, so. Um, yeah, I like they, they, it's a really interesting company. It's like they have 50 million users. It's not like they're small. They're like at the heart of what they do is to give the product away, which means like it's it's that's got to be the biggest advertising tool there is available. Um, I think they're very strong on critical thinking, which I like. So I think there'll be a lot of trial and figure out does something payback before you kind of blow it out. Yeah, um, a bit like the for those who don't know, myself and Connor ran experimental lab at one stage where we used to do marketing experiments. And it's just, I think it'll be a similar, what's yeah. the hypothesis? Why do we think, what's the model of advertising when people see this and then they buy what happened in the middle and then to try and work back to say, can that become a profitable growth kind of a um, channel? And that's interesting. Will, you know? will the role, do you know yet, uh, kind of go across all areas of the business because I think sometimes in B2B what brand gets forgotten sometimes then when it doesn't get forgotten it doesn't make its way to sales or customer experience or customer service parts of the business it sits within marketing do you do you have an ambition to kind of make sure the brand is across the full full range of the company yeah yeah I think so I think I think the like I, I, like I haven't started yet but the the you know the uh, Brand and the world of brand means lots of different things to different people. For some people, they think it's branding and identity. Other people think it's, you know, employer branding. Other people think it's a certain type of advertising. Um, And of course, it's all of that and other stuff too. Um, And what what I'm hoping is I think it's an amazing product, an amazing brand, and I'd, I'd like it to be a ubiquitous brand. Which means that I would hope that it'll become famous, and and that requires kind of getting stuck into all those bits and pieces. Right, and so, so that's the ambition for this to be a top one hundred brand. Yeah, yeah, I like, and it has all the ingredients already. So, and um, you know, so the the guy who hired me was a previous boss, and and yours too, and and he. He's a very ambitious yeah. marketer who thinks about scaling, and. So. One of the things you're you're going to go into a role that's um, effectively remote. Yeah, you know you're going to have teams in different countries. I know you've uh, a, a reasonably strong view on the need for people to be together to actually do good work. How are you going to manage that? Yeah, thanks, Connor. Um, yeah, so uh, so so Connor, everybody knows. So myself and Connor occasionally argue about this. So uh, so I, I think it's much harder when people are not in the room. And and if you want to build, I, like if you want to build a team culture, and you want to get everybody kind of on the same page, them being in the same room is makes it easier because there's so many breakdowns in yeah, communication. Yeah. <laughs> and so, how are you going to get across that? Barrier? I'm going to travel okay. a bit. So so yeah. So uh, like I would rather they all just came to Dublin, but <laughs> but but that's not going to happen. So I'm going to have to just work harder. <laughs> that's not the answer you want is it <laughs> <laughs> but like i guess you know one of the things is how do you create then a culture uh, you know you have that ambition how are you going to create that culture okay. yeah so so um 
so the way I do it um, is I have um, I have a bunch of behaviors that I think are um, that I would ask people who are working with me to commit to, and those behaviors are hopefully geared towards effectiveness towards kind of team alignment such as um i was talking about the other day but such as and i nicked this from from a colleague of ours um uh, like hard of the work easy on each other so mm. and and what what this means is that there's a really high bar uh that is expected of the quality of the work and and anything less is not tolerated um and we get everybody to that high bar which means having a really high knowledge base and but at the same time it's expect that people are going to be nice to each other and they're not going to beat each other up and they're not going yeah. to have a go at each other and they're not going to they're not going to be disrespectful to their age is anyone here from Cork? yeah disrespectful agencies sorry yeah and uh and uh, i'm just making sure she'll keep me honest and 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 works both ways uh, yeah. because it's hard it's hard to do good work and and I think that being explicit about that and holding people accountable to that um, sets the tone for yeah. for quality of work, but also you know um, working together. And then you know there's a, there's like the six that I I kind of work towards, but the the other one that will become particularly useful is this idea of strong opinions. Did we talk about this last time? No. Strong opinions weekly held, which is. Again, I nicked it from someone else, but I really like it. Is this idea that it's good to have strong opinions? I've got loads of them. Um, and the but the idea is if your if the evidence doesn't support you what you think is the way to go or what you've just done, then you are expected to change direction. Yeah, and 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 that is very difficult to do because we're hardwired to kind of dig our heels in. And you know your ego gets in the way yep. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that if you, if you change course, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, very yeah, hard yeah. when you stood in front of a bunch of people yeah. and <laughs> this said, is the thing we this should do. Is, this yeah. is the right thing to do, and this is why it's going to work, and this is why I'm right. And then find out that none of the evidence. It's a bit like I was saying earlier on, like, like so when 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 some of the metrics are are like, this is just I couldn't find any evidence to suggest that yeah. this is working. Then the answer is it's not working, and and you got to just be accountable to that and that's hard but if you create the right culture yeah then you don't get people you know because it's very easy to it's very easy to 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 move the goalposts and find some metric that you can hang <laughs> on to for dear life to say it works you know and uh, um but like we so, did talk about it in the last one where we did in we, our very first presentation to the to paul darcy yeah and we had nothing and we were looking at them going maybe that one works and I was like, no no that, there's nothing yeah, there. yeah, we went hard. to the blank slide yeah it is hard and and i i'm sure i've told you this but we like even in the lottery we did a campaign um early this year which we made so we we did a load of work on it we produced yeah. it a whole lot and and i actually my sins I also presented on it beforehand which I rarely do but presented explaining how good I thought it was going to be and uh, and then the research showed it wasn't um, it, it wasn't going to go well and and so we did extra research to find out and uh, you know we, we test everything with system one as well as Red Sea and we usually get very high scores and this was kind of a mediocre score and so I pulled the campaign 
So we didn't go live with it. I told my CEO. And then I stood up in front of the company, showed them the scores, explained the mistake I think I'd made and what we were going to do about it yeah. and why it wouldn't happen again. And and that's that's not fun. Yeah. Like it's it's no fun having to go I messed up here. You know, luckily we had a lot of goodwill because we've been doing good stuff for a few years, but it's still it's it's tough. Uh and but you got to create that environment where you feel like you can do that, you know. I don't like doing it. No, but you've written a book about it. So That's true. A whole rake of them. Good Roma, timing there, Connor. Yeah, Roma Foxes make better marketing decisions. And it is a book that's a lot about the things you learn from yeah. getting things wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you, you do learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. And um, that's true, even though it's hard at the time. Um, as long as you're willing to really look at it, like the, like the, the overarching kind of theme on this is if you are willing to, if you're willing to really learn from your mistakes and actually be, be, be enthusiastic about discovering you went where you went wrong, as opposed to ashamed, yeah. then then you've got a good chance of getting better. Curiosity, yeah, it's curiosity and honesty, and and like unfortunately, it only happens after like doing it for twenty thirty years. The opportunities for younger marketers who learn this area yeah. on, you know, I put as leaders and the the role is to make sure the culture is right. Um, we're coming to, to an end, Paul. Like we're obviously in HubSpot. HubSpot for startups um, have kindly hosted us today. Uh, what advice, again, you know, people listening to this may not have budgets of the National Lottery or Miro for startups or people kind of, you know, scaling their business. What, what advice do you have for them in terms of their marketing? What are the things you think they should be focused on? Yeah, I spoke to Larry about this earlier. Um, so what, what, what I would say is this, the if you, like so it's very hard firstly to to ask any organization to invest in in brand building if if you're not going to measure it mm-hmm. like it's just like it, like you might get a few months out of it and then someone's going to pull the plug so, so so you do need to put measures in place you don't have to do monthly research but you do need to figure out if you're asking someone if you like you see this an awful lot. You see people going, we want to raise awareness, but they don't, they don't actually have a number of, they don't have a measure of awareness. Right. So like, who's going to take that seriously? No one's going to be credible about that. I do think also for startups, there's, I asked Peter Field this question at one stage when I was working with a startup and he said, you could probably survive for a couple of years just in pure activation. And, but what happens is um, James Herman. Yeah, yeah. He wrote this book on future demand. Future demand. Yeah. Uh, another one of Connor's uh, uh, interviews, but but there's at some stage if you're if you're if you're on pure activation, which is which is just chasing the people who are in the market. At some stage, the your responses tend to level off. You know, either competition comes in and therefore makes it harder, or the low hanging fruit yeah, are no gone. longer hanging, and you you start to see the metrics all start to flatline. Um, and and Peter's advice was about a year before that is when he started investing in brand building. Um, so so, <laughs> so so I do think, but I do think getting a measure of getting putting metrics in place, uh, and it is getting easier to find and more cost effective to find yes. some of those measures and do some of that stuff. I think it's really going to be important. I would say to any any organization, any marketers, 
like really get yourself up to speed on the kind of the knowledge that's available on marketing effectiveness. Like it's it's readily available, yeah. and yeah. and it's 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 really important that you don't make schoolboy errors like the difference between causation and correlation i made all these so i know this but but so that kind of stuff's really important and i think the other practical thing i'd say is this i see you got colin in the audience he might have a view on this later on but like the the i think you can build distinctive assets off the bat it's got nothing to do with advertising or spend just being very clear on like you know you use the same imagery and iconology and and, yeah. and and all that stuff building that from, from and across all their touch points regardless of having no budget is really really important yeah, and i don't and, well nobody you make an effort yeah so <laughs> um so so that kind of stuff i'd say is got really advertising can help amplify those things but i i certainly think there's, there's no there's lots of good reasons for people to start thinking about what are the distinctive assets and and then just be really rigorous in applying those. Yeah. 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 And look, I think reading Curiosity, uh, obviously a great book, Roman Fox's that are you gonna do a second book? <laughs> Best seller. Yeah. Are you gonna do a second one? Someone suggested that I should do one running away from foxes, but uh, <laughs> but uh no, I don't think I've any plans for a second one. I'm such a slow writer. And it took me like six months to edit, so <laughs> so I don't I don't think so. I'll wait till I get mass kind of a mass uh, audience. So <laughs> I'll wait till I catch up with with Professor Barn Sharp. Yeah. Just be more controversial, Paul. Uh, no, I, that's it. You see, I, I don't really go for that. Yeah, I think it's it's too much for the headlines. You know, unfortunately, the answer to most questions is it depends. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, make for it yeah. doesn't make for a headline. Could be the yeah. second book. Um, Paul, listen, thank you so much for, for joining us. Best of luck um, with Miro. Thank you. And um, looking forward to seeing and hearing how, how it all goes. Um, Paul Dervin. Thank you. That's it for this episode of That's What I Call Marketing. Thanks everyone here for joining and thanks everybody listening or watching. Uh, of course, if you did enjoy the episode, you can subscribe so you get notification of when our next episode lands. Um, so for me, your host, Conor Byrne, until the next episode, thank you. Cheers. Goodbye.